much for leading us in those songs. As I mentioned last night, it is always so awesome to sing songs as you're singing through the song and you're, and you're speaking these lyrics, you're singing these lyrics that you're thinking, I'm about to talk about that in just a, a few moments. I appreciate that so much. I'm putting thought into the song selections for tonight. I especially love it whenever we sing a song and I hear a bunch of little voices, little, little people, young, are young among us who know the songs and who sing out very joyfully and passionately to the Lord. We love hearing those voices. We appreciate so much parents who are willing to bring their children out to meetings such as this throughout the week. I know that you have probably had a long day already with school and with work. Can I tell you, thank you. Thank you, parents. Thank you for, for seeing the importance of bringing your children to be, a, be among the people of God on a weeknight to, to open up the Word and to consider what is found within it. The difficult work you might be doing now whenever you're getting them home later than, than you might on a normal weekday, I have great confidence it'll be worth it one day. Uh, this, 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 these decisions that you are making, they will have a profound impact on your kids because they see the importance of being with God's people at every opportunity. Thank you for doing that to the parents. Thank you to each of you for doing that, especially those who might be from other area congregations and might be from the community. Thank you for being here. I hope you've, you have been encouraged. I appreciate you encouraging me in the singing together. And may God be glorified in everything we do together this evening, especially now as you open up his word and consider what is said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want us to begin with the end. Begin with the end thought, which is in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11. That these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. What are these things? What are the these things that, that, is, that Paul is referencing here within this text well we have to back up to do that don't we we have to back up to the beginning of the chapter and we begin reading what paul is writing to the brethren who are in corinth that as he is encouraging these brethren to greater faithfulness to to sustain faithfulness as he encourages them to to have this type of faith he encourages them to look to the past example of faith or maybe lack of faith. And in this instance, and in this specific instance, he is referencing their forefathers, those who were in Israel, and not just their forefathers of Israel, but the failures of their forefathers in Israel. We back up to verse number one. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse one, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, and they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. What he's doing is he's laying a common foundation between these two people that, that they're not dissimilar to you. But in fact, there are many similarities. They were the people of God. They had every spiritual advantage that you had. They had to, to some degree. And yet, even though they were in the same position as you, although they had many spiritual blessings, nevertheless, verse number five, God was not pleased with most of them since they were struck down in the wilderness. Well, why were they struck down in the wilderness? These things took place as an example for us, verse number 6, so that we will not desire evil things as they did. That was their mistake. They desired evil things. They were not desiring the things of God, but they were desiring the things of the world. They were desiring the things of the gods of the world, the gods of the peoples around them. 
He says, verse number seven, don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and got up to party. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a, sin, in a single day, 23,000 people died. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. And don't complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. Now we're back at verse number 11. These things happened. What happened? Let's recount. They desired evil things. They ate. They drank. They partied. They committed immorality. They tested their God. They complained even of what God had given them. They made mistakes. Mistakes that came with grave consequences. The idea that Paul is trying to give to to the Corinthians here is that you need to be aware of what you're doing and consider the outcome of what you're doing. But instead of having to learn from your own mistakes and the invariable outcomes that are going to come from them, the consequences, he's saying, brethren, think back to your forefathers in Israel. Think back to the mistakes that they made. And one mistake that isn't mentioned here specifically within the text, but really was, a, was an overall factor in what made them fall short of God's standard uh, for holiness here within the, the wilderness, is that they weren't desiring to go forward to the promised land. But instead, what they continually did is they desired to return to Egypt. They were constantly desiring Egypt, the place where they had been slaves, yet from where they had been liberated. Instead of going forward to the promised land, they were looking backward continually. And as we read through the Old Testament text in Exodus and Deuteronomy, and we see this taking place, we're wondering, well, how could this happen? How could it be that they would even possibly want to return to the place where they were slaves? And yet that is the question we are going to strive to answer together this evening. We want to consider their attitude of desiring Egypt, the mistakes that led to their failures and great consequences, and, and learn from them so that we might make better choices over this, the course of these studies, we've been talking about choices. And the ultimate choice is the choice of whether we are going to choose God and His will for us, His standard and His desire, or whether we're going to choose our own. It was God's desire for these people to be brought up out of Egypt, to be delivered into the land that had been promised to their ancestors. And yet instead of embracing that desire, instead of choosing to fulfill that within God, they chose, well, they chose themselves. And it surely did lead to disastrous Consequences. Let's consider Israel and this horrible, this horrible desire they had in wanting to return to Egypt. And let's begin these considerations by looking at, at what Israel did with, while in the wilderness. Because while in the wilderness, as we look at Israel, what we find within them is an often dissatisfaction with their current circumstances. That while in the wilderness, Israel was often dissatisfied with their current circumstances. How often, you might say? Well, it doesn't take very long whenever Moses comes upon the people for their grumbling and complaining to go ahead and and get fired up. In fact, if we look at this table that I have on the screen, at least 13, maybe 14, depending on how you count, at least 13 or 14 times we find the children of Israel complaining and grumbling against God. If you notice that first one, where are we at? Exodus 5. 
What's happening in Exodus 5? Well, you remember, they're not even out of Egypt yet. They're not even out of Egypt yet before they are already complaining against God. And then Exodus chapter 5, what we have is whenever Moses comes before, before Pharaoh and he makes a request, let God's people go so they might, might go out to make offerings to God. And Pharaoh takes offense to that. He takes offense to, to Moses having the audacity to come before the most powerful man on the earth and to request that these people be made or to be let go so that they might go out to the wilderness to make sacrifices in order to get back. At Moses, in order to show the people just who's boss, what does Pharaoh do? Well, he takes away the straw. He takes away the straw that helped them in making the bricks that they were, they were the, for the work that they were doing. And when the people find out what has taken place, when they find out that their straw is no longer made available, and they find out who's responsible for that, well, they go to Moses and they rebuke him. They rebu- rebuke Moses. They rebuke Aaron for coming to Pharaoh and making such a request. And then in Exodus 14, after being liberated from Israel, and after Pharaoh regrets letting the children of Israel go, he gathers 600 of his best chariots, and, and he chases Israel down. And the Israelites are able to see Pharaoh and his army coming. And they are so fearful about what they, what they believe is about to happen to them that they begin to complain to Moses, Why? Why have you brought us out, of the, out into the wilderness to be killed? In Exodus 16, two and a half months after departing, Egypt, the people, they grumble against Moses and Aaron because they're, 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 in their minds they're starving. And why are we starving out here, out here in the wilderness whenever we had pots of meat and bread beyond measure in Egypt? Exodus 17, Exodus chapter 17, after the people of Israel have made camp at Rephidim, they find that there is no water. Moses, why would we make camp at this place where there is no water? They complain to Moses. What does Moses do? Well, Moses then turns around and complains to God. We're catching kind of a a pattern here, right? That complaining is contagious. In Exodus 32, as Moses is on Mount Sinai receiving the law and the tablets, what are the people doing? Well, they're complaining that Moses has been gone for too long. So let's all get our, our gold jewelry together. And oh, by the way, look, this calf pops up out of the fire. They're complaining. They're not content. Numbers 11 In Numbers 11, after God has provided them with an abundance of food in the form of manna, manna that they would collect and and make into cakes, the people still didn't appreciate it. They complained because there was a lack of variety of food. No longer is it that we just don't have enough food. No, we don't have enough variety of food and we loathe, loathe this awful bread and the Lord is greatly angered. In Numbers 12, Miriam and Aaron, they complain against Moses, saying, Moses, you get to be the leader. Who put you in charge? Numbers 14, the children of Israel were terrified of the ginormous people that were within the land of Canaan as they're going to scout it out. They're terrified and, and they cry out against the Lord, why have you brought us out of Egypt to be killed? You know what they do? They even go so far as to begin to try to try to put up a new leader who would then take them back to Egypt. In Numbers 14, Korah and 50 other prominent men, they rebel like Miriam and Aaron did against Moses' leadership. And after they are struck down by God, there are some of the people who then stand up in Numbers 16 and verse 41 because they blame Moses. It's Moses' fault that Korah and these men are dead. 
In Numbers 20, the people once again complain that there's a lack of water. Though again, the Lord provides. And then finally, finally, Numbers 21 and verses 1 through 9. At least the last occurrence of complaining that I can find within the text. The people have just secured a, a victory over the Canaanite king, Arad. They defeat this king with the Lord's help. But they then turn around and complain, well, why are we even on this route up into the promised land anyways? And it is at this time then that the Lord sends the poisonous snakes, snakes out, around the, out among the people to, to destroy them. And it might seem crazy to us that these people would be so quick to complain against God after everything that he had done for them. After bringing them out of the land of Egypt, after providing for their every need, they still complained. Why? Why were they still complaining? In my estimation, they complained because they were not able to see beyond what was right in front of them. All they saw were their circumstances, their current circumstances. They had no long-term vision. They didn't see what they were going towards. They only saw what was right in front of them. And because of what was right in front of them, because of what they believed to be horrible circumstances, not enough water, not enough food, not enough variety of food, the journey's too long, the journey's too difficult, because of, what, of how they perceived their current circumstances, they began to perceive the past differently. Their misperception of the present affected the way they saw the past. Do we get what I'm saying here? That their current circumstances misconstrued where they had been. Because believe it or not, these children of Israel, while they were in the wilderness, they desired to return to Egypt, a land that they believed. Now, and this moment, they believed that that was a place where all their needs had been fulfilled. Now, we have to admit that it can be easy for us. If we are in a situation where the circumstances are difficult, it can be easy for us to allow the current difficulties to cause a little bit of revisionist history to take place within our minds. That, that, that's a possibility. Maybe even some of us have experienced that. That we're in a current situation where things are difficult and we're thinking back to a time whenever things were even more difficult, but we don't see them as being all that difficult anymore because they're not as bad as right now. Or at least they're not what is happening to us right now. And that's exactly what we find within the text. What we find within the text are instances where they specifically mention Egypt and how they wish that they could return to these places. First of all, in Exodus 14 and verse 12, Exodus 14 and verse 12, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. It would have been better for us to be slaves than to die in the wilderness. Exodus 16 and verse 3, the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into the wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. Exodus 17 and verse 3, But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. 
They said, why did you even bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Numbers 14 and verses 4, or excuse me, Numbers 11 and verses 4 through 6, the riffraff among them had a strong craving for other food. And the Israelites wept again and said, Who will feed us meat? We remember the free fish we ate in Egypt, along with the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks, the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone, and there's nothing to look at but this manna. Oh, Egypt, there was a good menu every day in Egypt. What about Numbers 14 and verses 2 through 4? All the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron, and the whole community told them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Our wives and our children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader to go back to Egypt. Numbers 20 and verses 2 through 5, there was no water for the community. So they assembled against Moses and Aaron and the people quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought us, brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you led us up from Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not the place of grain, figs, vines, and pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. And finally, Numbers 21, in verses 4 and 5, Then they set out from Mount Or by way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. But the people became impatient because of the journey. And the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water. And we detest this wretched food. Time and time and time again. These unappreciative people compared their current circumstances to what they believed was their reality in Egypt. Because now as they look back to Egypt, all they're seeing during their time in Egypt is food, is it not? All they're seeing is food. All they're seeing is pots of meat. All they're seeing is free fish. All they're seeing is cucumbers and figs and leeks and onions. I'm good without the onions, but the garlic. All they see is all this food. That's all they think about when they think back to Egypt. And all the water they can drink. But they had forgotten, hadn't they? These people, they had forgotten that they were abused slaves while in Egypt. All they were thinking about was the food. They had forgotten about the slavery. Now, if we're looking back in history, we recognize that the beginning years of Israel's existence in Egypt wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad at all. They came down to Egypt with about 70 people, and they were able to dwell within the land in relative peace. 
They did have enough to eat. They did have enough to drink. And they were even able to be fruitful and to multiply within the land of Egypt. But we know at the beginning of Exodus, there did arise a king who did not know Joseph. There arose a king who, who did not know the great works of service that Joseph and his people had provided to the Egyptians. And because of that, the king was worried about these people. Because the text tells us in Exodus chapter 1 that these people, they were more numerous and powerful than we the Egyptians are. These descendants of Joseph, these Hebrews, they're more powerful and numerous than we are. And what's he scared of? Well, he's scared of as if there's an evasion from another kingdom. If another army comes upon Egypt, then what he is fearful of is that the, the Hebrews that are within Egypt, they're going to side with the enemy. And not only is there going to be a force from the outside coming down upon Egypt, but there's also going to be a force inside Egypt going through Egypt. He's saying we can't win that war. We can't fight a war on both sides. I need to get these people under control. Well, how does he get these people under control? Well, he first tries with hard labor. If I really, really, really wear these people out, if I work them to the bone, then maybe they won't be as strong as they used to be. But instead... What he realizes is that the Israelites, they were a very resilient, a very resilient and a very strong people because they were supported by the God of heaven. They were supported by Yahweh. And it was at this point that we read in Exodus chapter 1, beginning of verse 15, that the, the new Pharaoh's plan is to, well, if I can't work them to the bone and make them slow down that way, then I'll just have to kill them. I will kill the male children. Because if I kill the male children, that means less Israelite warriors that could fight for the other side. But thankfully, we know from the text, Exodus 1 and verses 15 through 22, that some of the Hebrew midwives, they weren't going to let that happen. And they were able to work in such a way that the babies were spared and the king's plot was foiled. But we have to recognize, as they failed to, that this was their existence within Egypt. It wasn't all about pots of meat and fish and cucumbers and leeks and all the delicious food and all the water they could drink. That wasn't the main point of their existence while in Egypt. That's what they wanted to focus on because that's what they were lacking in the wilderness. But what they should have focused on in the wilderness is the fact that they're now a free people, which is the exact opposite of what they were in Egypt. Sure, in Egypt they had food, but they were slaves. And they had someone who ruled over them that was killing their babies and working them to the bone. That's no big deal. At least we get to eat. At least we get a free lunch, right? Why would they think this way? Because they were only focused on what was right in front of their eyes. Not long term. Not the land of promise, but their circumstances in the here and now. That's the second thing that they had forgotten. They had forgotten that God was taking them to a great land which had been promised to their ancestors. That God had made this promise. Many years ago in Genesis 12 in our scriptures, to their father Abraham, that he would make his family, that God would make Abraham's family a great nation a nation more numerous than the stars of heaven and on the sand and the sea. And that he would bring them into this great land and that eventually all the nations of the world would be blessed. They had forgotten about that. 
And they had forgotten, or at least they chose to not focus on the fact that God was building them to that point. Remember, God had brought Joseph's family into Egypt with about 70 people. And at the time of what we read in the book of Exodus, after about 430 years, it's reasonable to estimate that the Israelites at that time numbered maybe about 2 million. And that's based upon the fact that there was 600,000 able-bodied fighting men. Now let the scholars flesh that out, but that's what, that's what I'm going with. About 2 million strong were the Israelites at this time. 2 million out of what had been 70. Sport management major, I don't do math. I'm not going to tell you how many more times 2 million is than 70, but it's a lot of times. They didn't think about that, though. They didn't think about where they had been and what they now were while in Egypt. And the fact that God had been keeping his promise. He had been building them up to fulfill the promise of being in the land. He had made them a great nation while in Egypt. They were strong. They were mighty. That's why the king was scared. That's why Pharaoh was scared. But they hadn't thought about the fact that God had had been fulfilling this promise that he was going to fulfill the next. That he was going to fulfill the promise of taking them into the land. And yet God had even reminded them. Can I I take you to to Exodus 6? Exodus chapter 6. Look with me in verses 6 through 8, please. Exodus 6 and verses 6 through 8. And as we read this text, I want us to key in on the I will statements. Or any statement has will in it. I want you to notice this, because as God is speaking to his people through Moses, as he is reassuring them of everything that he's going to do, he says, I will do this. And with each of these promises, God is writing a check. And brethren, we better believe that God is going to cash that check. Read with me here, please. Exodus 6, beginning of verse 6. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. Notice this. I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from, the sla- from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. And you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from forced labor of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give, you, give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. The check's written. Take it to the bank. I will do these things. And what will he do them based upon? The fact that he is the Lord. Just as that statement, that fact, is irrefutable and unchangeable, so is his promise that I will bring you out of this place and I will take you to the place that I promised to your ancestors. God reaffirmed it, and yet they either forgot it Or they simply ignored it. Good brethren, I ask you, how many great and precious promises have we been given by our great God? Where he tells us, I will. We must be better 
than these faithless people. Because just as they forgot these things, brethren, I'd like to close by encouraging us that we must remember. We must remember. They forgot. We must be better. We must remember. And what we must remember is that our past lives of sin are enough and only had us on a path to destruction. Path to condemnation. What we're building for here is to draw the analogy between them wanting to return to Egypt and to a land of slavery. I want us to compare what they were wanting to do to what we sometimes have the desire to do. What we sometimes have the desire to do is to leave this place where we have freedom in Christ. Where we leave this place where we are free in Christ to return to a place where we are enslaved under the dominion of sin. We recognize that living in that place where Satan and the evil one is our master, where sin has full reign over us and where we are under condemnation, that being in that place will only lead to us being eternally separated from God. That's Romans 6 and verse 23. The wages of sin is death. However, we recognize that those of us who are disciples... Those of us who, have, who are disciples, we live in a new reality. That's who we were. Yes, that's who we were. That's what Paul says to those who, were, those who were in Rome. The Gentiles and the Jews alike, you were separated from God. Without a hope in the world. And all you had to look forward to was condemnation and punishment. But, Romans 6 and verses 6 and 7, we know... Romans 6, 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin may be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since the person who has died is freed from sin. Is that not the same analogy that Paul is drawing back in 1 Corinthians 10? He's talking about the Israelites. There are people who pass through the sea who all followed the cloud, who drank from the spiritual rock, which was Christ, that while in Egypt they had been slaves, yet they passed through the sea, they followed the cloud, they drank from the rock, which which was Christ, and they are now free in the wilderness, following God on the way to the promised land. That's what he's saying about us, brethren. That while we were without Christ, while we were living in our sin, we were separated from God, we were enslaved to this sin, we were powerless under it. It had complete and total power over us. And yet, once we have been freed from sin by the grace of God, through our obedience to the gospel, thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you have now been obedient to that teaching that has been delivered to you. Though that's what we were, this is now what we are. We were enslaved, we're now free in Christ. And that brings us to 1 Peter chapter 4. I can't think of a single text outside of Romans 6 that really addresses the, the whole change that takes place within us whenever it comes to us going from being in the world and apart from Christ to now being in Christ and in fellowship with God again. Notice what Peter says here in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. 
First Peter chapter four and verse one, that since Christ is suffering in the flesh and he has made all this available to us, he's made the salvation available to us. Since Christ suffered in the flesh, first Peter four, verse one, arm yourselves also with the same understanding because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. The Israelites, they were suffering in the flesh in the wilderness. By the way, the wilderness is not supposed to be a really fun place, right? Don't, don't you go camping to kind of rough it, get a little feel of what it used to be like? I don't know what they were expecting while in the wilderness to, to stay at a Holiday Inn Express. Well, no, they shouldn't have expected that. He's saying while we live in the flesh, understand that there's going to be sufferings. Especially if we're done with sin, then we're going to suffer in different ways. But we do that in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do. Carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness and carousings, lawless idolatries. All these things. He says that time that you spent doing these things... That's enough. That's enough. Whether you engage in these things for two years, five years, ten years, 15, 20, 25, 30, however long it was, that time is enough. That time has sufficed. There is no need for you to return back to that type of living. Why would those who have been freed from the guilt and the dominion of sin... Why would those people want to return back to it once it has been lifted off their shoulders? Why would you want to do such a thing? Well, we won't if we remember where it had us. If we remember where we were in sin, then that alone should want to to keep us away from it. But there's more than than just that. It's not just where we were That motivates us to not go back there. But it's where we're going now. That ought to keep us motivated to not want to go back there. As they forgot where God was leading them, we must remember that God desires to lead us to a better eternal home of promise. Even though each and every one of us has spent time in Egypt. Every one of us has been in Egypt at some point. We have been in Egypt. We have been in the bondage of sin. Even though that has been our past, God desires for our liberation. He desires for us to be freed from that place so we might be able to go to a better destination. And in our current, present circumstances, even though, as we read in 1 Peter, sometimes we suffer because of just the reality of this world. That it is ruled by the evil one and there's temptation and there's suffering because of sin. Even though being free in this life from sin we do suffer, we realize that the true freedom is not here in this life right now on this earth. But we're looking for something better. And we're looking for something better because we're playing the long game, aren't we? We're playing the long game. We're not focused just on what's here and right now. Now we're not focused on what, we, what is right before us. But we are focused on what is before us. That what we're looking towards, what we're going towards. We cannot grumble. We cannot complain. We cannot allow these less than ideal circumstances 
to cause us to quit. We have to remember they're only temporary. That's what Paul says, that these temporary afflictions, they're nothing compared to what is coming in the future. Nothing at all. We looked at a a negative example in the form of the Israelites that were grumbling, complaining, wanting to return to Egypt instead of going to the promised land. But but consider a a positive example real quick. Consider the positive examples in Hebrews 11. The positive examples in Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 8. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 8, whenever the Hebrew writer begins to talk about Abraham, not just Abraham, but Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob. Consider what is said about them and compare that in your mind to what we've already read about the Israelites. About their coming out of Egypt, being freed, yet they grumbled and complained about the current circumstances they wanted to go back. Instead of going forward, they wanted to go back. Now think about this. Read this with me here. Hebrews eleven eight. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. That sounds familiar. He's free, told to go. Go to this place I want to give you. And he went out, even though he did not know where he was going. And by faith he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to bear or to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past age, since she was considered to be the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of the sand along the seashore. And these all died. Not just died. The text tells us they died in faith. Although they had not received the things that that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, long-term vision, long-term. They greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Why couldn't the Israelites have realized that? That they were just foreigners and temporary residents in the wilderness. They didn't. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. If they were thinking about where they had come from, they would have had an opportunity to, to, to return. The Israelites were thinking about where they had been. And they wanted to go back. Not so with these, with these people. Not so with these faithful people. Because they now desire a better place. Verse 16, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What a drastic, drastic change. From where their ancestors had been, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, where they had been, how they had operated, to now how the Israelites were operating. Night and day. And the result itself even bears that out. Now for us, for us consider what is said at the end of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. Remember, think about our circumstances that each of us at some point, we were in Egypt. We were enslaved to sin. We were condemned to die. We were without hope and helpless in this world. And yet Christ, because of his faithfulness to his father and his love for us, he came to earth and he died for us. And he gave us the ability to be redeemed from sin so that we might go from being hopeless to being hopeful. 
that we might go from being helpless to being helped by a great God. And now we're looking forward to a better place. No longer are we looking forward only to condemnation. We're not, no longer looking forward to that. No, we're looking forward to glory. That's what Peter says here. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and on that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the, world, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. And because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on His promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in His sight. Peace. Had God not promised them glory, I will free you from Egypt. I will bring you into the land of promise. Peter here is saying, God says, I will dissolve this earth. I will establish a new heavens and a new earth. I will give you this land of promise. And in this land, there will only dwell one thing, and that is righteousness. No sin, no temptation. Our God will be there and we will bask in His glory. Because this is what God promises, Peter says this is how you ought to be. And how you ought to be is holy in your conduct with godliness. May we be a people that are without spots, And we are without blemish in His sight. We have the ability to choose to live in this world right now in that manner. The question is, will we choose that or not? Because the Israelites, they had the choice to dwell in the wilderness in that manner. Brother, we're in the wilderness right now. We are foreigners. We are are here but for a little while. Let us not follow their example in grumbling and complaining and desiring evil things. That only led to their destruction. And brethren, that will only lead to our destruction as well. We must be better. And we can choose to be better Because we can do all things through the strength that our great Lord and Savior provides. We can learn from their example so that we might be better than them and receive the great promises that God has extended to us. They desired Egypt. Brethren, may that never be said about us. We don't desire Egypt. We desire God. And we desire to be with Him when this life is no more. Let us pray. Our Father, You are are God. You are the One who, who sent Your Son to die for us. You are the One who created a plan for helpless and hopeless people to be helped and to be given hope. 
You have done through, you have done so through your Son. He gave His life for us so that we might be freed from the shackles of sin, from the dominion of sin, from the power of the evil one. And God, we have been delivered from darkness into your glorious light. Father, we praise you. We lift up your name for being so gracious to us. And Father, may it never be that we spit upon that grace and we desire to return to slavery and to darkness, to hopelessness and to helplessness. Father, may it never be, but may we remember where we are going to be with you for eternity in glory and righteousness. May we forsake the temptations of this world May we forsake grumbling and complaining. May we fix our eyes on you and your Son. May your Spirit influence us and guide us to be strong into the end, living holy and blameless lives in godliness. Father, we have confidence in th- through you that this can be so about each and every one of us. May we trust you. May we lean upon you. We thank you so much for the hope that lies, bef- that lies within us, for what lies ahead of us. Thank you for Jesus, for his grace, and for the salvation that comes through him. May we never forget where we have been, so that we will always look forward to where we are going. It is in his name we pray these things. Amen.